Hi, everybody. You're about to hear an episode about resilience. Tim Harjo, my guest, was not set up to succeed. He didn't get the memos on how to be a responsible man or a successful adult, but he figured it out. And I'm most touched by his openness and curiosity and courage, all of which led him to go to college and then to law school and then to get another degree in public policy and now to being a general manager of a local independent TV station. Tim has a purpose, and all the chapters of his career are devoted to that purpose, and that is to advocate and care for the Native communities and the Indigenous voices. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm here today with my guest, Tim Harjo. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sharon. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy you're here. And I would like to start today with your work in the world. Who are you out in the world, Tim? Wow. What a great question. (laughs) Who are we all, right? Right. Well, you know, so actually, you know, right now, I, I work as a general manager for a local independent television station in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it's actually a dream job for me, something that I had kind of dared myself to, to work towards over the last 25 years. And recently, in the last couple of years, actually right before the pandemic hit last March, uh, was able to take that opportunity and and forge ahead. What does that mean? I dared myself to do this. When I was in undergrad years and years ago in college, business school, I entered a national business plan competition, and it was all about television broadcasting, uh, Native American content. You know, being the first to to do such a thing, uh, and there's one now out in California. But and I was actually part of that. But uh, at that point, back in the late '90s, there there hadn't it hadn't been done yet. And so, you know, I was able to win that competition. Uh, it was something that I always wanted to do. It was something that uh, really kind of just got me excited. It was one of those jobs we always talk about. If I, if we love that kind of a thing, it's not a job, it's not work, it's fun, right? So that was my dream job and kind of got sidetracked over the years, like going to law school 
doing a lot of different work around policy and law, working with different governments, uh, tribal governments as well. And um, you always kind of thought about that goal, that dream of television and decided that I'm going to start working towards that and start doing things to bring about that opportunity. And when it happened, uh, that I would be ready for it. And that all happened a year ago, right? About a week before the pandemic hit and the state of New Mexico shut down is when I took the job. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I haven't regretted it at all. In fact, I'm still excited about it as I was then today. My question is TV, media. When I think about it, I think about just how much potential, how much impact, how, how influential TV and media can be. What is your hope of using this medium? What is the impact you're hoping to have through TV and media? Yeah, again, you know, that's, that's all wrapped up into why I'm doing this. So age myself a bit here, or date myself rather. I remember as a kid watching the miniseries Roots. I was maybe four or five years old, and I just remember how much of an impact it had on me, but on everybody else around me. And I just remember television before, during, and after Roots, and it just seemed to be a bit of a game changer. And maybe I'm kind of overstating that a bit, but that's, that's my impression that I had from it. And over the years, it's, you know, I mentioned law school. You know, my first day of law school, I distinctly remember this one particular class. The professor said, sometimes the law will not be on your side. As an advocate, your job is to make arguments um, around policy. So basically, uh, argue policy when the law is not with you, right? And that always stuck with me. And it led me to go back to graduate school after a few years of working as an attorney to Harvard University and the Kennedy School of Government, where their big thing there is policy. (laughs) And I wanted to learn and understand it because I felt that the kind of work that I was doing, working in federal Indian law, tribal law and government, working on behalf of tribes, I found that more often than not, the law was against my client's uh, position, and uh, I found myself arguing and making policy arguments, you know, a lot. And um, you know, that had a big impact on a lot of Supreme Court decisions. Not mine, of course, not my advocacy, but others. And uh, a lot of things were changing based on a lot of policy arguments. And so, I got to thinking about the civil rights movement and, you know, what was it that really kind of led to these momentous changes in civil rights and law and policy. And when you look back, at least my understanding of it was a lot of things didn't really start changing until, you know, mainstream Americans started watching the brutality of what was happening around civil rights protesting and marches and people being uh, beaten on television airwaves, images of dogs and, and the fire hoses and, you know, bombings and things like that on television kind of led to a lot of just average, ordinary people 
calling or writing their senator or their congressman or woman and asking them to or demanding them to make change, change the laws, do something about what's happening. Television, I think, played a big part in that. And uh, for me, you know, I think, you know, as a mass medium or mass communications medium, television, the Internet, uh, all those kinds of platforms can and have had a big effect on policy development and, and the law and shifting and changing public opinion on lots of different issues. And we see that to this very day with how our current Congress and elected leadership use media for good and bad. And depending on who's who's defining that and 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 for what reason, you know, it's it's out there. And and I think, uh, as you mentioned, you know, it, it's a big part of um, American life and how we get our information. And, and you know, when we talk about Native Americans and Indigenous peoples and and kind of their current status within American society, uh, there are those that argue that uh, the that voice, that Native American uh, Indigenous voice that so many times is kind of based in uh, what we call Mother Earth and and the voice of, of the land and how it's treated or mistreated and and really kind of natives seeing themselves as, as the voice of the earth and how we could better live with it in a way that's more sustainable and uh, beneficial. And so I think that voice is missing, and I want to be part of getting that voice to be in a mainstream voice where there's groups around the world who are trying to do that. And it's it's a big challenge still to this day to to have that voice out there in a way that's helping change things uh, and bringing about more you know progressive kind of look at how we live with each other, how we live with our mother earth and that whole relationship it's going to end up i think being a big part in how the story gets written in the end and so yeah that's 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 a big part of kind of the the reason that i like to be in television and digital media and distribution and you know trying to uh, do what we can each day to to bring about that voice in a better way how do you, I mean, I have, I'm excited to hear this because I think it is so important and I'm not in TV and media, but I do struggle with today's kind of, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, echo chamber type of thing where we're all just kind of choosing what media do we see and hear. How do you get this message out to people who are not necessarily likely to dial into that station? That's the great thing about this country, and you know, we talk about freedom of speech and, and a right to choose in terms of where we get our information, how we use it, so on and so forth. And so, the days of you know having a couple, three networks to choose programming from are are long gone. Being able to find the kind of content or programming that best suits my taste and aesthetics and so on and so forth is that's been the norm for many years now and so you're not going to kind of create content for the masses and really kind of change people's ways of thinking and so on and so forth like you may have could have uh, years ago and so that kind of sounds directly opposite what i was mentioning before and that there is some truth to that but the counter to that is uh whether people are 
waiting for that content or that programming to be out there. And for others who could care less that it's out there, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't do it. Because I think there are lots of people out there who may be searching for or waiting for that type of programming to come their way. Uh, And then maybe there are many others who normally wouldn't care or or have no leaning towards that type of programming. Uh, And it may be they they find it and and it does have some sort of impact on them in a way that's positive or at least gets them thinking differently about things. And even if that happens, that's worth it, right? I couldn't agree more. And maybe in today's world, it's not as linear. Like you said, the days of one or two options on your TV is over. So when you go out and broadcast, it's n- sometimes the impact isn't immediate because maybe that'll land on somebody's, I don't know, computer or device in a year, in three years, and the, the impact will happen then. But that content's out there and, it's, and it still could have an impact. Exactly. And I think that's, in, in a lot of ways, it's for, for me, it's not just, okay, can, how, what can we do to have these great impacts? And, and you know, that becomes a, a magical thing in and of itself. But then there are other folks who do things for lots of reasons, especially around wellness and healing and, you know, doing something that is good for them as a person to help them continue to move forward and grow. So I think there's, there's a bit of that playing out with some of the work I do in this area as well. And so if I understood correctly, your, your journey in your career was law to policy to media, but always with the same intention. Did I get that right? That's true. I mean, I remember, you know, back in those early college days, talking to folks about creating, you know, this native or this indigenous uh, television network, and it would somehow find its way to become global. And it still hasn't happened yet, but I think that's okay. You know, we're we're still working towards that every day. And you know, we've made a lot of inroads. We've got friends and allies and, and partners from around the world now that are interested in doing the exact same thing. And so I think uh, now more than ever, the possibility of creating that and making it happen is very reachable. In fact, there are other, in other countries like Australia, Canada, Taiwan, and a few other places where there are indigenous networks that have been operating for a while now. Uh, just really not a lot going on in this country until the First Nations Experience Network came out back in 2012, which I was part of that launch. And I used to work as the chief content officer there. And, um, you know, it was great. And so happy and glad that, you know, after I left, you know, they're still going strong and, and doing a lot of these things that uh, were part of that overall vision. And so here you are, this person who is very committed to uh, having an impact, advocating law, policy, media. At what point did you look inward? At what point did things like Hoffman or uh, personal growth show up in your life? Part of that journey has always been what can you do to help your community in a way that makes it better than than when you found it how do we give back to the community in a way that you know is part of your responsibility to begin with and so that being said working in public service is something i've 
for me, my choice has something I've been doing for since the mid '90s, since right out of high school, and finding ways to to innovate in that and do that more effectively has been part of my life for 30 years now. As I mentioned earlier, a big part of that was my own kind of healing and self wellness journey wrapped up into that, and so. I mentioned earlier, I ended up at Harvard University to be part of this learning around policy and, and how do how does policy and law affect real people on the ground and what can I learn there and take back to these these communities where not a lot is happening in terms of policy development and nation building and you know for tribal government and trying to you know build infrastructure or there's lots of tribes that don't have running water or lot electricity like with the Navajo Nation, you know, there's large parts of the of the reservation that are still kind of third world country, you know, in, in terms of developing. What are some of the uh, ways in which um, these partnerships with government and private and public sector organizations can get together and solve a lot of these problems. And so that's kind of been my thing for a while now. And I think for for a lot of these communities, the glue that's been missing is this medium or this platform where information, education can better take place uh, in a two-way fashion. And I think that, you know, a lot of other communities have that and kind of take it for granted. And I think using that in a way to help develop and in a way where you know this the common denominator is about growth and education uh, wellness and moving forward in that way from that point of view uh, we can solve these larger policy issues around governance and stability and building economies for for jobs and better health outcomes and so on and so forth and so are you, are you saying, uh, the, the, you said the common denominator is growth. And do you mean on a personal level, meaning if I do my work, then I am able to better solve these much larger macro level problems? I think so. And I think in the aggregate, when there's larger groups of individuals uh, who kind of start to understand how it takes the entire community with a commitment and desire to move forward is when you know the, these kinds of changes begin to happen in these in communities, not just in native communities, but at anywhere. And so, what was your journey? Were you always invested in uh, personal growth and and introspection and reflection, or did it happen at a certain point in your journey? Well, going back to my background as you know, I'm a Native American male. I grew up in southwestern Oklahoma and uh, you know, I kind of lost my accent there over time. There were a lot of those memos that went out about your responsibilities as you grow up and become a man and how you handle yourself, how you deal with situations, how you kind of represent yourself and your family and your community. I, I didn't get a lot of those. And as I've learned, a lot of my male friends and colleagues and, and from those areas didn't get those memos either. And so I began to see a pattern of these issues around um, alcoholism, uh, domestic violence, neglect, these social kind of 
problems in these communities, you know, I saw firsthand and been part of that and uh, was lucky enough to not fall into a lot of those problems that a lot of my friends and other family members fell into and um, made decisions where where it cost them lifetime lifelong uh, legacies of you know well by now a convicted felon or or you know have a criminal record or something like that and now i can't either vote or get an apartment or lease a place or buy a house or you know those kinds of issues i was luckily enough able to avoid but a lot of my friends and families from these areas are still dealing with these kinds of issues on a daily basis and uh, that doesn't mean that i got through it unscathed you know i i think that a lot of those issues those are, are legacies from the past uh still run strong in native communities and some have dealt with it better than others some families some individuals have dealt with it better than others of course I, myself i've had my issues and problems in in the past with these things as well so it's always been a journey for me in terms of learning and growing and realizing how well not how lucky i am and grateful i am for having been able to survive that but then uh understanding how it all works you know in the first place where did it come from how how did it get into my family my community and then how did it affect me personally and then how do you live with that how do you kind of grow as a as an adult and then become middle-aged and into your later years uh, understanding all of these kinds of uh, interactions with legacies from the past and and these problems and you know having children and now grandchildren how do you kind of become a teacher and mentor and and help others can navigate these same problems and become better for it for me as a young man going to a place like harvard it was you know this is a great opportunity uh, to get this kind of education that I worked so hard to, to achieve, and then not, and knowing even that I was in a place like Harvard, learning and getting this graduate school education, that I was still suffering from my personal issues, from the legacy of where I grew up in my community, and really trying to deal with that the best I could without having been given a lot of skills and coping mechanisms from my parents and or my uh, elders in the community and really kind of trying to figure it out on my own and struggling and and not being able to just figure it out and trying to understand how it all works and I think it was at that time when you know I began looking for ways to deal with that like I'd find different books to read I would listen to folks who had who talked about a lot of these issues and how they dealt with them, tried different things, you know, and generally felt like I was on at least acknowledging I had issues, at least acknowledging that I needed to humble myself and really look inward for how to deal with it and keep it all together, right? Because now I'm this lawyer, I got this this status, and I'm at, I'm at Harvard, and then all, all of a sudden I'm supposed to be the certain type of person on a certain type of path, but yet I feel like, you know, do I really belong here? Am I who am I trying to become? Why am I still dealing with issues from 
my past with my you know growing up and going to Indian boarding school when I was a kid. You know, a lot of those issues were I'm still dealing with. So of course, trying to find ways to cope in a positive way with these issues that I was carrying around with me it was a daily struggle. And so I remember one day. Uh, seeing this kind of flyer in the common area at the school talking about, you know, are you ready for a change? Are you looking to to grow and, and become a better person? And, you know, these issues around or questions around can leadership be taught or is it innate? You know, these kind of questions on this flyer or about, well, you know, come to this information night and there'll be free food, of course, so I've and now I was going to go for that reason only, right, as a graduate school student. And so I remember going and uh, took a friend with me. And actually, there were a lot of folks from the school there who were mostly maybe just there to eat, but then also to listen to what was being said and offered and being curious about what was being offered and presented. And that's when I first learned about the Hoffman Institute. And it was quite a different presentation to be sure. And uh, I just remember after the first few minutes, uh, most of the people who were there were gone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it did sound different. And it was about this leadership project. You know, can leaders be created? Can they not be created? You know, what is all that about? And then, you know, are you the type of person who's ready to be this type of authentic present in the moment leader? And uh, is that something that makes sense for you? Is this something that makes sense for the world, for all the things that we're all out there trying to do? And so, of course, I was very curious about that. And so I decided to, uh, I think you had to write an essay and talk about yourself and really kind of open yourself and humble yourself about who you are and uh, be honest about, you know, your own issues and failings and, and even triumphs, but also how does that make you ready to kind of open up to a new kind of, um, I guess, paradigm of, of thinking, of existence, of, of daily living in a way where you feel authentic and you feel present and you feel like your decisions, your everyday kind of thought process it comes from that place instead of from somewhere else and from someone else. And so that was appealing to me. Was it hard to come from a place of, like you said, recognizing that the laws weren't always in your favor and in your community's favor and coming from that place of the external realization, the external hardship, and then journeying inward? How, how was that for you? Well, that in and of itself has been a long journey. I mean, if you can imagine a, a teenage kid from any background who, for most of your life, you're thinking, hey, you know, I'm just an average person, I'm an average kid, and seeing and finding out that, well, you're really not. The environment is telling you, well, you're just a, a poor brown kid who doesn't belong anywhere. You're a stranger in your own land. You're told that you're not good enough. You're led to believe that there's something wrong with you because you're an Indian. And those were daily kind of impressions that are out there. And then you wonder, well, what's going on with it? Why is this? You know, where, where did this all come from? And then you start to kind of read 
and do some history lessons and things like that. And you're, you find out, wow, there's this whole history about how the continent used to be Native American continent and it was lost or taken or stolen and depending on what you're reading and who you're getting your information from. And uh, suddenly you're like, well, wait a minute. What does that have to do with me now if it happened that long ago? And then you realize, well, you know, my family's poor. All of my friends' families are poor. And a lot of the white kids in school and their, their families are doing pretty well. And, uh, you know, maybe there's alcoholism on with the native families, not so much on the with the, the Caucasian families. And you start to see these dividing lines everywhere. And it's based on race, ethnicity, and economic outcomes. And you're like, well, okay, well, all right, there is something going on here. And then one way or the other, you see that and it's all around you. And my response, I was angry. I didn't like it. I did not like what I was seeing. I didn't really fully understand it until I started getting a little, you know, into my later teenage years and early 20s. And I said, okay, all right, this is the way it is. Now I need to go and do my thing and, and at least try and figure out a good life for myself, my family, if I ever have one, and just kind of deal with what it is. During that part of my life, you know, my early 20s, just like everyone else, you get a job, you got to support yourself. And so that's basically what I did. But, you know, I found out quickly that didn't matter who you were, you know, if you didn't have that family money to start you out from, you know, you had to get a job and work. And just like a lot of other folks, you know, that's just the way it was, you know, college and, you know, having all that opportunity wasn't really an option at that time. But then after a while of working pretty hard, I worked at a bakery and, um, you know, for a couple of years out of high school and, uh, it was really tough work. It was a large industrial bakery. And of course it was Oklahoma. So it was hot, muggy all the time. Imagine that with flour all over in the air, all over your body. And, uh, you know, doing that for three years, I learned the value of hard work. That's for sure. But I also learned that it was something I didn't want to make a career in. So then, you know, all those ideas about college and things like that came around. And I said, well, I got to do that now because this isn't going to work. And so I was able to just figure out a way to get myself out of that environment, get into a, uh, a small, you know, tribally run community college in New Mexico and uh, just kind of really figure out a way to just focus on that and complete and go on to undergrad and then law school and then just just really keep my head down and just focus on that and and then when I started to look up was when you know in my early 30s thinking about policy and and how do I really make a make an impact there and and then going to Harvard and and then finding the Hoffman Institute who was there doing the leadership project at that time so it all kind of came together and and I tell people that as great as an experience Harvard was for me personally and, you know, all of that, it was even better because I went because of Hoffman, uh, the Institute was doing its leadership project there at that time. And for me, I believe in nothing happens by chance, you know, attitude and timing is everything. So I felt like, you know, I was open to that at the time and just took the opportunity for what it was. And that was the best decision I ever made. 
because I think it really gave me all of those tools that I had been searching for that never really understood knew, or knew how to, to do or create for myself. And finally, it all came together and made sense for me because I, I was able to, to kind of deal with everything that came my way, my, my daily, um, all the different daily things, of course, in life, but then the bigger challenges with grief and other issues that all of us deal with, you know, from time to time. With Native communities, I think the, the coping mechanisms, the, how we deal with those things are too often kind of wrapped up in identity and the past. And it's really easy to say, but I think it's very important to understand that those problems are real. Those feelings are real. What has happened in the past are very real to people today. And they take on their own life, I guess you could say, in terms of their meaning and legacy and effect on us today. And how we deal with those issues when our daily challenges are presented really kind of make the difference in how we have good or bad outcomes around those, if that makes sense. And so I think that's what the Hoffman Institute really helped me be able to manage better and really stay on track to working towards the positive outcomes rather than the the negative ones that we hear so much about in mainstream media when it comes to Native Americans. I got to tell you, I, I think in your kind of... Um journey, you talked a, a lot about, well, I just, I figured out a way. I knew I didn't want to work in the bakery, which I imagine was also like a three in the morning kind of job. I worked hard for three years. I knew I needed to find a way. So I figured out a way, I figured out a way. And I think that quote unquote, figuring out a way is a really big deal because as you mentioned, you had to unprogram the external programming, the external messages that were being reflected back to you. And so you had to unprogram those, you had to stay curious. And as a result, you got to college. As a result, you stayed open and you tried this Hoffman thing. And look at that, it started your journey into inward inward growth and, and being able to have the tools, like you said. But this whole thing where you said, I just figured out a way, I think that is huge. Well, I mean, it is and it isn't, but at the same time, I've had, there were people in my life who, who challenged me to prove them wrong. For instance, you know, my, my grandmother, you know, who's now passed, of course, she's, well, she actually passed away when I was graduating from Harvard. Uh, it was the last week of school and I had a lot, like five or six finals to do and prepare for. And I got the call that she had a few days left and I was able to get back to Oklahoma to see her before she passed and uh, came back to school for graduation. You know, she was a big part of my life. She was my caretaker for many years. I, you know, my mother would always kind of take me there. I stayed with my grandparents for many, you know, years off and on throughout growing up, you know, and she had remarried and I had an abusive stepfather. And, uh, you know, she... She was like my drill instructor. You know, she had been to Indian boarding school when she was a kid. And uh, so had my grandfather. Uh, pretty much every native I knew growing up went to Indian boarding school at some point in their life. I liken Indian boarding school to Marine Corps boot camp because that's pretty much how my grandmother raised me. She challenged me. She would tell me, you know, you're going to be in prison before you're 18. You're not going to amount to anything. There were times when I, I absolutely hated her. 
because I thought she was mean to me and I thought that she didn't love me and that she was dealing with a lot of her issues and it was coming out on me. And, and I think some of that is true, but I think mostly her coping mechanism, her ways to, that she dealt with what she had to go through were a big part of how she treated others. And I learned that it wasn't necessarily her that had raised me. It was all of those negative behaviors and patterns that she learned growing up that was raising me. And, you know, at the, of course, at the time, I didn't realize that was, I believe, truly was. But I think the Hoffman Institute showed me that. And I learned to forgive her and to see that she actually did love me. But this is how it came out. This is how it manifested in a way where it was a very difficult upbringing. And my grandfather was similar to that. And my mother was similar to that. And so, as you can imagine, when when those kind of negative behaviors are present in the home from a caretaker to a child, things like, well, you're never going to make it in life. You're never going to amount to anything. Were just horrible things to say to a child. But I think what she really meant was, I'm trying to toughen you up for what's out there. And I'm trying to help you <laughs> in a crazy way. I, I believe that's what she was doing because that's what it did for me at the time. So, I, of course, I've, I've learned to understand this through my own issues because I think one of the things that we, we talk about at Hoffman is how a lot of our, our, the, the negative or the behavior patterns, good and bad, that we have in life come from our caretaker father, mother, grandparents, and others. And uh, we kind of carry those on, and they come out when we're, we have children and we're raising them. So I've had to be very careful about how and be very, very aware about these kinds of things coming out from me towards my children. And so, um, you know, having those tools and daily kind of management tools for, for me as a person have been very, very helpful on how I've kind of tried to break that cycle and and rewrite that script for, for the generation that I'm raising now. And so um, I feel pretty good about it. I feel like I've been able to achieve that. But like I said, it's a daily struggle and the story's not over yet. But man, is it so much better now. So much better in terms of being present and aware to that and being grateful every single day that, that the Creator has made this place for all of us to enjoy and to take care of. And we have to do that as we take care of ourselves and each other. And that's really the way it's supposed to be. Wow, what a beautiful story of, especially for those who are Hoffman grads, to see the role that forgiveness played just in that story between you and your grandma and your grandfather and your mother as well. And I'm sure forgiveness continues to play a role in your life. That's how it works. And then to see how it's impacted the way you, I love how you said, rewrite the script for the generation that you're raising now. Beautiful. Yeah. And just to add to that, it's, it's very interesting because I have a, I have six children and three of them are grown and um, the other three are quite young. And, um, you know, I have one, he's, uh, he's in the Navy. He's a nuclear engineer on a nuclear submarine for the Navy. And, you know, just being able to say that I was part of doing that is a big win for me as a father in this whole story. And, of course, my other children are just part of that kind of story 
I have an 11 year old who's kind of the embodiment or essence of just story. She hasn't seen, she doesn't know what it was like to grow up in an Indian community where violence and abuse is an everyday thing and where she has to worry about being raped or abused by a family member or someone else in the community because that is so prevalent right now in in these communities it's just a, it's a crisis we talk about it and i tell her you know that there was a time where in these communities it was one other thing that we had to deal with and you know it wasn't that these people are horrible people it was just you know there's a lot of suffering and it manifests itself in a way that's negative in all sorts of ways and we see that across the country and other communities as well so it's not like native people have you know this innate problem with who they are and no it's everywhere but i guess the point is is that in spite of all that there are ways that we can rewrite the script and we take a whole new course it's not easy and it's not like oh anyone can just do this if they just chose to or would just work hard and discipline themselves those are easy things to say and very difficult to do day to day and it takes a lot of work but it also takes a lot of luck it takes a lot of people who are there helping you encouraging you and being patient with you and we find ways to to kind of let that take hold and and nurture that and you know sometimes our identities tell us that's not who we are we're not touchy-feely we don't get in touch with our feelings and we don't care to be present we're going to be on autopilot when certain issues come up and this is how we deal with them through violence or a certain kind of auto behavior that's just gonna this is just who we are and how we are right and i think we've seen a lot of that in this particular community and in others you know one of the biggest things i learned at hoffman was to reframe in a specific kind of moment or a situation i can kind of basically stop and pause and say, wait a minute, I just, this is not how it's going to go. I'm not on autopilot and uh, I'm, going, I'm going to go a different way here and uh, have a different outcome because I just choose to do that. I feel that I, I'm letting myself, my spirit guide me in this, you know, all these different ways to look at that. And I've been able, lucky enough, been able to do that over the years. And I think that's a big part in this that I think if a lot more of us could find ways to kind of do that could be helpful. And I'm not saying that this is just, you know, I'm the, I'm the all knowing being on how to do all this. I'm not, I'm still so much a learner and still so much like trying to figure it out. But I think, you know, the tools that I've been lucky enough to get are, have been so helpful and in this kind of journey that we all have to go through and uh, no one has all the answers and it's just that's what makes it so beautiful but also scary and it's all wrapped up in this whole condition we call human <laughs> well said well said i wanted to summarize a couple things just because i thought it was such beautiful and strong points and i'm just noticing we are very close to time so i just want to just highlight a couple things that i thought were so beautiful this whole concept of of not being on autopilot you know in the hoffman terminology that's the patterns it's these behaviors that are compulsive and they suddenly happen and what you were saying is i 
I want my spirit to guide me. It's unknown. It's mysterious. Sometimes it's work, but I still surrender as often as I can to my spirit. And I've heard so many beautiful things. You earlier said, um, it's all about attitude and timing. And then you also added in there the community and forgiveness and self-compassion along the way. Really, really beautiful embodiment in your life, in your journey of those exact traits. So Tim, thank you so much. It feels like we just kind of Got the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more I'd love to hear about you. For those listening, please check the show notes, follow the media. We'll, we'll get your links from you, uh, Tim, and put it in the show notes so that way people can follow and support and be a part of this beautiful and powerful work that you are putting out into our world. You summed it up really nicely, better than I tried to tell it. So thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Tim. Thank you so much. And, and we'll, we'll hopefully hear from you again. Be a pleasure. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.